Hey everyone, welcome to this week's conversation with Dr. Stephen Ned about the body and how to fix, protect, or maintain it using outside-the-box alternative solutions. If you're a big fan of the pharmaceutical or surgical approach, you are so in the wrong place because on this podcast, we're not going to be pushing the conventional medicine methods or way of thinking about health. If you're looking for another way to live longer and healthier, join me, Ron Ned, and my brother, Dr. Stephen Ned, for this week's body chat about the mouth. Me? I'm a retired Twin Cities chiropractor currently helping people buy and sell homes in the Tampa Bay and Los Angeles areas. My brother has a thriving chiropractic practice in the Clearwater area of Tampa Bay, Florida. In this podcast, we're going to chat about all sorts of topics related to health, nutrition, exercise, just about everything having to do with the body. You're invited to listen into our body chat, but don't forget that neither of us is giving you health advice, so don't rush off to do something without either checking with your doctor first or seeing Dr. Steven Nett as a patient at his office. All right. Good Sunday, Steve. Yes, it is. Today's topic has to do with something that people have in most cases, either. All right. Today's topic has to do with them. <laughs> I can get in trouble. Anything I try and do off the cuff is just going to get me in trouble on this one. All right. So this week we're going to talk about the mouth. We're going to use all of our knowledge and experience. <laughs> this is the Gene Simmons episode, right? <laughs> right. Okay. So let's start off trying to get through this somehow or another by talking about what the different parts of the mouth are. All right. The different parts of the mouth are the lips, mouth cavity, gums, teeth, hard and soft palate, which make up the inner roof of the mouth, the tongue, salivary glands, and the vestibule, which is a slit-like space bounded on the outside by the lips and cheeks and the inside by the gums and teeth. The mouth is used, as you know, for speaking, eating, breathing, and making facial expressions. All right. So that is the different parts of the mouth. Now, most people, other than using their mouth to talk, use it to eat food. And that is the place where digestion actually begins. So what are the different ways that the digestive process begins in the mouth? All right. Well, digestion begins in the mouth with saliva and an enzyme it contains called salivary amylase, which mixes with food and starts the process of the breakdown of starches. This enzyme, by the way, is also called tylin, P-T-Y-A-L-I-N. And of course, you know, we can get into things like chewing and that type of thing as far as food's concerned. But biggest thing is that that's where food enters. It starts to be broken down and it travels down the esophagus to the stomach for the continuation of digestion. All right. Now, some supplements that people take, I mean, most of them are oral supplements. I don't know of any intravenous except maybe B12 injections. And sometimes you can have like a vitamin C drug. Most vitamins, most supplements you're going to take by mouth and usually people swallow them, but there are some that suggest you dissolve them under your tongue. Why is that? Well, not only are some supplements uh, designed to be taken under their tongue, but also medications. And these are called sublingual supplements. And there are many advantages to this. One, you know, they're easy to take for two reasons. 
you know, tablets and pills are smaller uh, as far as sublinguals and they don't need to be swallowed. You know, many people have a hard time swallowing even regular size pills and tablets, uh, let alone horse pills. And also some of them come in liquid form that absorb under the tongue too. And they're also more convenient to take because you don't need a glass of water to swallow them. Another advantage to taking them over traditional supplements is that the way they're absorbed is far superior to pills and capsules that you swallow. And that's because when they're absorbed through the mucous membrane linings of the tongue, they're rapidly picked up by the blood vessels there entering the bloodstream more directly than if they had to go through the digestive tract where they would have to be broken down and finally absorbed into the bloodstream from the small intestine. Uh, another plus point about sublingual supplements is that they normally contain no added chemicals or preservatives like traditional supplements, which often contain coatings, artificial colors, hydrogenated oils, talc, sugar, and fillers to not only preserve them, but to make sure that they survive the harsh acid environment of the stomach so that they can reach the small intestine. Since sublingual supplements contain fewer ingredients, they're also usually less expensive than traditional supplements. And finally, some people have digestive issues, including irritable bowel syndrome, which impairs absorption of food and supplements. They also tend to have reactions and sensitivities to some supplements and need alternative ways of taking them. So sublingual is an excellent option. By the way, another option is transdermal or through the skin and the most common supplement taken this way is magnesium, whether it's from an Epsom salt bath or a spray or a gel containing it. Yes. The other thing as far as absorbing through the skin is iodine. I don't know that you'd necessarily want to take the supplement that way, but that's one of the tests that you went over for thyroid to find out if somebody has a, an iodine deficiency. Yeah, we strictly do that as a test because um, there is actually a really good liquid iodine supplement that you can take. You don't do it sublingually, but you do drop it in water. Okay. And, you know, a couple of examples of other common sublingual supplements are vitamin B12 and melatonin. Right. Uh, sublingual B12 especially definitely absorbs better than pills and capsules. Yeah, because B12, it's either sublingual or by injection. Those are really the only two ways to get it in the system properly and get enough of it. And then when you mentioned medications, I had forgot about that. And the, the one that immediately came to mind was nitroglycerin pills. Absolutely. All right. So now that we've got that out of the way, let's, in our travels through the mouth, take a look at the tonsils. Tonsils have been around for as long as people have had mouths. So what role do they actually play? Aren't they expendable? I mean, when we were kids, it was like everybody would take them out and you get a dish of ice cream afterwards and all that. And over the years, that isn't as prevalent. And it's starting to come out that maybe they're not just something intended to be tossed in the trash. So tell us about the tonsils. All right. Well, you, you know, you asked me a similar one about the appendix in podcast 71, which covered the pancreas and the appendix. Right. Yeah. And if you remember, we learned in that episode that up until recent times, it was assumed that the appendix was a useless remnant of evolution. Mm -hmm. But medical research has found that it's a reservoir for good bacteria, the primary site for the production of a very important antibody, and that removing it increases your odds of developing inflammatory bowel disease heart disease, and even Parkinson's disease, 
as well as reducing your odds of getting over the dreaded intestinal infection called C. diff that often occurs in hospitals and nursing homes. Right. Well, the same scenario has occurred with the tonsils. Really? Yes. They used to be removed in a pretty high percentage of children because they were thought to be not only useless and obsolete due to evolution, but also a detriment to the immune system in those with recurring throat infections. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, well, nothing could be further from the truth. You see, the tonsils are part of the body's first line of defense against infections. And we learned about this in our immunization and vaccinations episode number 36. The first line of defense is our skin, mucous membranes, and the lymphatic system. The tonsils are specialized lymph organs that have several important functions. Due to their locations, they prevent foreign objects from slipping into the lungs. They're kind of like the hockey goalies of the throat. Hmm. Yeah, and they also catch and filter bacteria and viruses. And in addition, they produce and contain white blood cells and antibodies to fight infections. By the way, most people think that there's only one pair of tonsils, but the fact is that there's actually three pairs. Really? Are they like right behind each other? Well, I'll tell you where they're at. Okay. So the ones that most people refer to when they think of the tonsils are on both sides of the back of the throat, and they're called the palatine tonsils. Okay. However, we also have a pair of tonsils at the back of the tongue called the lingual tonsils and a pair that are located behind the nose that are called the pharyngeal tonsils, but are more commonly known as the adenoids. Okay. Yeah. So as far as them being expendable and being removed, you know, a, a tonsillectomy used to be done regularly when a child had just one or two strep infections. Mm-hmm. Well, fortunately now that's more the exception than the rule, even though tonsillectomies are still frequently performed in the United States. So tonsillectomies are primarily performed when tonsils have become infected and or enlarged and haven't responded to traditional treatments like antibiotics. The problem with tonsillectomies is that there are risks with anesthesia as well as pain and bleeding. So doctors have become more conservative about recommending it weighing out risks versus benefits. I found the most effective treatment for tonsillitis, enlarged tonsils and or recurrent throat infections is a combination of chiropractic adjustments to the neck to improve, to improve nerve flow to the throat and tonsils and reducing and preferably eliminating milk, dairy ice cream, and sugar. There are also supplements that support the immune and lymphatic systems that are very helpful for these conditions too. All right. Well, that's good to know. So that gets rid of a second old wives tale or false information, one having to do with the appendix, the other having to do with the tonsils. Now we're going to move away from the tonsils and we're going to travel around the mouth a little bit more. And we're going to be looking at teeth, which is another big part of the mouth. So let's talk about that for a minute. Can cavities and infections in the teeth affect other parts of the body? Oh, yes. Now, cavities typically only affect the mouth. But if they're painful enough that it restricts people from eating and chewing and the condition persists for long periods of time without taking care of it, then an individual can end up with unhealthy weight loss and malnourishment. The things that you know, can really derail an individual's health by affecting other parts of the body are inflammation of the gums called gingivitis, along with periodontal disease, which can produce bacteria that can cause problems in the mouth as well as other areas of the body. 
For example, oral infections that have spread through the bloodstream to the heart have been linked to endocarditis, which is an, an infection of the inner lining of the heart chambers or valves. Uh, cardiovascular disease in general, including heart disease, stroke, and clogged arteries, has also been shown by research to potentially result from inflammation and infections that oral bacteria can cause. Uh, bacteria in the mouth can also end up in the lungs, causing pneumonia and other respiratory diseases. Pregnancy and birth complications, such as premature birth and low birth weight, have also been linked to periodontitis. Uh, periodontal disease has also been found to complicate diabetes because the inflammation it produces impairs the body's ability to utilize insulin. Uh, some research has also shown that treating periodontal disease can reduce the pain caused by rheumatoid arthritis. And a study that came out in January of this year in Science Advances found that a specific bacteria that's normally present in the mouth and is associated with chronic periodontitis can also release toxins that make their way into the brain, possibly contributing to Alzheimer's disease. Wow. Yeah. Very, very interesting. So that's why people should actually be seeing a dentist regularly and also flossing and brushing on a regular basis because it has more of an effect than just on the teeth themselves. Mm -hmm. All right. So now let's move into another topic of, that has to do with the mouth, and it's something that affects people. I've had it affect me, and it's not, an, uh, not a very comfortable thing to go through. That has to do with something called TMJ. Why don't you first start off by just describing what TMJ is? Okay. Uh, TMJ stands for temporal mandibular joint, which is the technical name for the jaw joint. The TMJ is a hinge joint that's located just in front of each ear, and it allows you to open and close your mouth. It actually works two ways to open your mouth. The first way I've already mentioned, which is a hinge to both open and close the mouth, just like a hinge on a door. The second way is a sliding motion that's called translation, and this is where the lower jaw moves forward and downward. And this particular motion helps the TMJ move in multiple directions, including forward and backward and from side to side in order for you to be able to do such things as eat, yawn, and sing. That's true, because if you think about it, when you're chewing something like meat, your, your teeth have to move from side to side for it to tear the pieces of meat across, uh, apart so that you can digest them properly. Mm -hmm. Well... What can a person experience if they have a misaligned TMJ, one that is out of alignment or that isn't working quite in sync like it's supposed to? Well, a misaligned TMJ can result in various TMJ disorders, such as TMJ dysfunction or TMJ syndrome. And these can produce some incredibly uncomfortable symptoms, including jaw pain in the joint and the muscles that control jaw movement, difficulty chewing, difficulty opening the mouth fully, and even clicking and locking of the TMJ. I mean, I had it so bad one time that it felt like someone stuck a knife in my jaw every time I tried to chew something. Yes, I have that too, and it's definitely not very comfortable. Now, how does a TMJ condition get treated? All right, well, let's start with medical treatments. Uh, medications commonly prescribed for TMJ issues include painkillers, anti-inflammatories, and muscle relaxants. In addition, some antidepressants are prescribed off-label in lower doses for pain relief and controlling teeth grinding, which is also called bruxism. 
There's also oral splints or mouth guards uh, that are sometimes recommended, especially at night for people who have a tendency to grind their teeth while sleeping. Physical therapy may include ultrasound, moist heat or ice, along with exercises to stretch and strengthen the jaw muscles. Uh, injections such as cortisone into the joint or Botox into the jaw muscles are another medical option. Yeah, I'll skip those. <laughs> And then surgery, if the situation requires it, such as repairing the disc in the joint, which can tear or dislocate. Now, I've been able to successfully treat and resolve TMJ disorders over the years. Uh, chiropractic is excellent for realigning the TMJ, uh, either done manually or using the activator adjusting instrument. Uh, I primarily use the activator since it allows me to gently and precisely adjust the joint back to where it belongs. You know, there's actually five different directions the joint can subluxate, and we're taught these in activator methods and what to do about each of them. Uh, cold laser therapy is also excellent for relieving the symptoms of TMJ disorders by reducing pain and inflammation as well as joint and muscle soreness. Uh, dry needling and acupuncture are also phenomenal for TMJ conditions. Uh, there are very specific points for the joints and muscles of the TMJ that are highly effective when needled. And myofascial release is another great choice for relieving muscle spasm and soreness, as well as trigger points associated with TMJ conditions. Uh, another alternative is NCR or neurocranial restructuring. I went over this in detail in our concussion podcast, number 52, and that included my own success story with TMJ, where my jaw was so badly displaced that I was experiencing awful pain whenever I chewed food. I had an NCR treatment from a local chiropractor years ago when I lived in practice down in Fort Myers. And right after that, we went out to dinner and I was able to eat chicken with no discomfort. That's great. It's important that people know that there are these alternatives that they can seek out, especially when they have it on a chronic basis or a recurring basis. So now we're going to move again inside the mouth to a different area. We're going to talk about the salivary glands, which is one of the last things that you'd mentioned as parts of the mouth, which we haven't discussed yet. So if somebody has a condition where the salivary glands aren't working well, is there anything that can be done? Because that would obviously affect digestion. Yes, absolutely. And the first thing I do is check the neck vertebrae for misalignments or subluxations, which can reduce function of the salivary glands, and then adjust the segments that are potentially responsible for this. The other thing that I have found to be incredibly beneficial is checking the parotid gland, which is a salivary gland that can also become burdened with toxins like heavy metals and chemicals. If the parotid is involved, then there's an incredible supplement by Standard Process called Parotid PMG that feeds it nutrition to help restore salivary function and to detoxify. I've had patients with dry mouth syndrome and other salivary issues that recuperated very nicely after taking this supplement. Dry mouth syndrome is a condition where the salivary glands don't make enough saliva to keep your mouth wet, and it's often due to the side effects of certain medications, aging, or as a result of cancer radiation treatments. Mm. You, know, and our, you know, our mother had this condition, which was a result of the disease that she had, scleroderma. Right. So, yeah, so between regular adjustments and taking parotid PMG, her saliva production improved dramatically. And she was able to eat without having to drink like three glasses of water to get her food to go down like she had to before that. 
Yep, that was a nice success for her because she did have a lot of problems. People can't quite imagine unless they've experienced that or seen somebody go through that. If you're trying to eat something and you're not producing saliva, it's like, you know, there's it's dry. Everything that you're eating goes down your throat dry, and that's not very good at all. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, is there anything else you'd like to say on this topic before we end? No, it looks like we nailed it all again. Excellent. Well, this is a good introduction for the next episode that we're going to be recording, which will be on next week, and that has to do with beverages. People drink beverages every day. You have to get liquid somehow, and people know about water, but then there's coffee, there's tea, there's sodas, there's juices, there's alcoholic beverages. So we're going to dive into that a little bit and discussing that, and it goes along with the mouth because that's where it's coming in. And these are things that people will drink while they're eating other foods to make a moist or just drink on their own. So next week is going to be beverage time. Thanks, Steve. Right on, brother. Thanks for joining us this week on the Body Chat Podcast. We both really appreciate your time and your attention. We want to provide you with interesting and informative episodes each week. And if you have a topic you'd like us to cover or any questions you'd like us to answer, send an email to us at info at bodychatpodcast.com. That's info at bodychatpodcast.com. To make sure you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes, subscribe to the Body Chat Podcast now on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or Spotify. See you next week. Bye.